All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get started. So, you guys are the the faithful few that have persevered all six weeks, and so we're going to finish this up. I think it's been I think it's been a really neat study. Um, as I've gotten to as I got to the end, looking at the last chapter, I think it's a fitting chapter. The the, the chapter is called the the grace of discipline, and so uh, let's just open in prayer, and then we will finish this uh, study up. Lord, I just thank you for this morning, and I thank you for these men, Lord, that have been so faithful, God, for these six weeks just to, just to come and to have a hunger to dig into your word, and Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, God, as we dig into this final lesson, you speak to our hearts, and that you would uh, r- remind us, Lord, that it is only by your grace that we're able to do anything, I just pray that you would strengthen us, uh, teach us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, good morning. All right, so over these last six weeks, you know, if, you, if you've been keeping track, if you've been taking notes and uh, you've looked at many areas that uh, we're required to as men to discipline ourselves in. So, you know, the whole premise of the study is that spiritual growth doesn't happen uh, by chance. It would be nice if it did happen by chance and we didn't have to cooperate in the process. But But the fact is, is that uh, even though that word discipline is hard to say for some of us, uh, that it does take us to discipline ourselves to to mature in, in Christ. It takes it takes effort on our part. Um, it's it's not uh, it's not going to happen just because we would like it to happen. We're not going to have a great marriage without taking special attention that our marriage would grow. Absolutely, right? Uh, and 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 it goes on throughout the list. And actually. Uh, I, I listed the, the 17 different areas that were covered in five weeks. There are 17 <laughs> areas that were covered that we need to think about as men. Now we don't all fit in every one of these categories, uh, but it just depends on, on on the stage of life. But we all, I think, in this room, fit in most of them: uh, purity, marriage, fatherhood, mind, devotion, prayer, worship, integrity, our tongue. The things we speak, work, perseverance, church, leadership, giving, witness, and ministry. And uh, I currently fit in all 17. And I just, when I wrote them all down, I went, wow, what a list. I mean, just think about that. All these areas that are important in my life. And as I went through all of them, I'm like, there's not one that I would say, hey, I don't need to worry about that area. I don't, you know, it's okay if I talk rudely to my wife or or, or 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 slip a curse word here or there or get angry with with my words you know it's not it's not a big deal if 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 i uh skip church every now and then i might lose my job um like it's just just go through through the list well, it's, it's okay if, if if i don't give and i'm not generous i think every single area you go through them you you just think well these are all important areas so what am i going to do well, I think the temptation for men, as we started out, as I talked about in the first week, the temptation for men is passivity. That's always been our temptation. So when you look at a big list like this and you look at the scope of what a man is responsible to do, the temptation is just to throw up our hands and say, well, shoot, I mean, I, I can't think about all of this. This is overwhelming to think about. And, and honestly, it can be at times. If you go through a list like that, you, you can start seeing all your failures in all these areas. You know, 
I'm not a perfect father or husband, and I don't always think correctly, and I don't always, uh, I'm not always uh, on top of my prayer and and Bible reading game. You know, um, sometimes I say things I shouldn't. Sometimes I struggle with persevering and um, leadership and giving and witness and ministry. Like the list goes on. We struggle in all these areas, and so the temptation is to be passive. And let, let's let's look at you know you guys have seen this. This is Genesis three. 9 through 12. This is just a reminder of our, of what we have inherited from our father, Adam. Genesis 3, this is after the fall. This is after Eve was deceived and brought Adam the fruit. It says here, but the Lord God called to the man. He called to the man. He didn't call to the woman. He didn't say, Eve, where are you? Why, 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 why is that? Why do you think? responsibility headship that's right so so whenever something goes wrong at your job who are they who are they ultimately going to go for the boss who's in, who's the manager over over that department who's in charge who's responsible it may have been an individual employee that messed up may have been eve i mean our wives are not our employees <laughs> but uh it may have been the person that was under you that did it but ultimately it's your head that's on the block because you're responsible so he came and found the one that was in charge. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And I just always just see that phrase, where are you, just as such a strong question that God asks us as men. Where, 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 where are we? Where are we in our responsibility? Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And here's the passivity. The verse 12. The, then the man said, the, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So he blames two people. He says, the woman. And then he says, you gave me that woman. So this is this is this woman. It's, she did it. She gave me the fruit, and I ate. And but God, you're the one that gave her to me. <laughs> you this must not have been a good plan that you gave me this woman, right? And that and, and we have inherited that tendency from our father Adam to be passive when it comes to our responsibility to to pass to pass the buck to 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 blame shift and to not take ownership that's that has been our tendency since Adam and it will continue to be our tendency as much as we want it to not be that way that is our tendency so when we look at this list this exhaustive list of things that we have to think about you will run into all 17 of these issues in your life maybe not all at once some of them multiple times at the same time but the the the, the reaction is not to throw up our hands and say well, oh well i'm just not going to be able to be disciplined. I'm just not going to be able to worry about these areas. So what are we to do? I think a real practical key here is to prioritize. Prioritize. Look at look at look look back at your notes and think about all the different areas that we've talked about. The, uh, uh, the discipline of the mind, marriage, fatherhood, money, giving, church, leadership, witness, ministry. Look at all these different areas and think about the areas that you are currently struggling in that you know you have weaknesses in. If it's in the area of purity, you know that that cannot be something that you focus on just a little bit. 
it's got to be at the top of the list. If you're struggling in that area, that's your number one priority to approach and to discipline yourself in and get help, right? And then if you if you know you're struggling in your marriage, you if you know right now this morning your marriage is not healthy, you know that you're struggling and you need help, prioritize that. Put that at the top of the list and say, Lord, I just know that this is an area, Lord, that right now I need help in. And I want to discipline myself to pursue your help so my marriage can be healthy and be strong. And so I think that's the goal. And that's kind of, that's the cycle throughout our life. There's going to be times in your life where your marriage is healthy. You know, uh, my wife and I went to a marriage conference two, two weekends ago. And, um, uh, it's a great marriage conference, the family life marriage conference. We've been to four, that was our fourth one to go to in 13 years. And we prioritize doing that. Because we want to have a healthy marriage. And so as we are looking through the, 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 the list, as, as you go through some of the sessions, at the end of the sessions, they'll give you questions to evaluate your marriage. And you kind of individually answer the questions, and then later you privately share those, those answers. And so we're checking off those things. And then, then they, 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 they have you break out and go write a love letter to each other and kind of discuss and share things. And as we're talking... You know, we're looking back at, at the questions that we both gave and, you know, like our marriage is good. It's not perfect. It's not perfect by any stretch. But if we would have gone back to, you know, our first marriage conference, everything was great because we went within our first month of marriage. There was no problems. <laughs> and we were, we were still super honeymoon stage there. But if in year three or four, there are things that we checked, struggles that we were having. But we weren't year 13. We weren't struggling like we were then. And so that's not one of, it's always a priority, always a priority. But if I'm struggling in another area and I know that I'm struggling in this area and I'm not disciplining myself in my Bible reading and my prayer time, bump it up to the top of the list and focus on that. Don't, don't just try to be scatterbrained. I'm trying to juggle all these different things to try to just, to try to maintain all of this stuff. Just realize that, that it's kind of like, how do you eat it? How, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. You just realize that, that the goal is not to be perfect in every single one of these areas because you will never be there. You will never be perfect. We can't, we can't just throw up our hands and say this is too much responsibility. We have to prioritize. Um, and, and, and then I, I wrote down this statement. We must throw all of ourselves onto the Lord. And, and that's just a, a way to describe just saying, God, I give you all of me. If this is going to happen, if I'm going to be a disciplined man, if I'm going to honor you in, in my life, if I'm going to, if I'm going to grow in these areas that we've looked at that I see are, are important, it's going to be because of you. You know, it's going to be because of your strength, because of your grace, uh, because I'm going to make mistakes. And so you just, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys know you're going to make mistakes because you live in your mistakes and you're well aware of your own faults and failures. Uh, and so that's just a reality that we all have to accept. You know, I'm not telling you to accept your sin and your mistakes and just live in them, but you have to accept the reality that you're not going to get it right all the time because we are flawed individuals who are progressively becoming like Christ. And in that process, just like when a, when a baby learns to walk, you know, they, they, they're called toddlers for a reason because they kind of toddle a little bit. And every now and then when they're first learning, they'll, they'll trip over and fall. Then they get up and they learn. That hurt really bad. I need to figure this out. 
And so, you know, un- unfortunately, or fortunately, depends on how you look at it, we learn from our failures. And I, I think if I look back at my life, the things that I really believe with a high level of resolve are the things that I have learned that I've personally failed in or I've seen other people fail in. You know, there's vivid examples in my life of my own failures, and I've learned so many great lessons from those. Or there's individuals in my life that are close to me. I've seen their failures, and it, it teaches me such valuable lessons. And so it would be nice if we learned all of the lessons we need, we need to learn from our victories. But unfortunately, when we have victories, what, we tend to, what tends to happen is we get prideful. And we think, oh, I got this, or I'm, I'm not that bad. <laughs> I'm pretty good. But I think what actually keeps us on track and keeps us in the, in the path of discipline is our failures. Because we're, we're reminded that we're just not there yet. That we're still, there's still something out there to strive for. You know, I was reading this, um, article, uh, earlier this morning, and uh, it was an article about uh, the number one, former number one player in the world on the PGA Tour. His name is Jason Day. And uh, currently the number one player in the world is Dustin Johnson. And Jason Day, um, you know, he, I think it was 2015, he got to number one in the world. He had won five tournaments in seven months. And, and so he talked, and now he's ranked number three. So he talked about the effort that it took to get to, to, get to the top. He talked about how difficult it was to, to, to get there. And he, he talked about how now that he's not number one, he realized that I don't know if I have the energy <laughs> or, the, or, or the effort to do what I did to get there. And so he's trying to figure out, am I just going to be just a normal golfer who wins every now and then? Or am I going to really, do I really have the courage to really discipline myself again? And so I just think, you know, if you lose sight of that prize, and that's kind of what I saw when I read that, that, that article, that's that kind of throwing up my hands, 17 things on this list. I know what it takes, but I'm just, I just can't do it. But I think if Jason Day and all of us would think about it, you know, hey, the top of the mountain is being at peace in your heart with the Lord. It's not perfection. It's not, it's not the number one ranking. It's not getting it right every single time. It's, 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 it's about direction in your life. It's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's the fact that your heart is directed towards the Lord and that you desire in your heart to be who God's called you to be. And you understand that you're going to make mistakes, but do you learn from your mistakes? Don't, don't, <laughs> don't be, let, 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 let us men, let us not be foolish. Or insane. What's the, what's the, what's the definition of, of insanity? Do the same thing over and over again, or, or for our context, ignoring areas of these areas that are important in our lives, making the mistakes, and then just doing it again. That's not being insane or ignorant or foolish. Let's recognize that if the, if some of these areas that we studied are real, genuine struggles that you have just failed in over and over again. Just prioritize that list, put that at the top of the list and say, Lord, I am, I am going to depend on you, throw all of myself onto you, and I'm not going to go another week, another month with a marriage that is not the way it should be. 
come hell or high water, my marriage is going to be healthy. We're going to go to a marriage conference. We're going to get counseling. We're going to get help. I'm not going to have this porn problem in my life anymore. We're going to, I don't have to struggle with this anymore in my life. I'm going to be done with it. You know, I think sometimes in those areas of sin, we just have to say, you know, that, that area, I'm done with that. I don't have to, I don't have to do that. I don't have to yield to that temptation. And Lord, I'm throwing all of myself onto you and I'm going to discipline myself to get the help that I need. Cause we need help. There's time, we, we need help. We need help always from the Lord and from His Spirit. But there's times where we need help from brothers in Christ. We gotta link arms. You gotta ask for help. You know, I, there's a, a, a man came sat in my office on Monday. I don't know if it's this Monday. My, my week has gone by. There's so many things going on. Uh, I think it was Monday. But, um, sat in there and he just was crying out for help. And you know, I, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, you, just want to tell you, you know, the things that you're telling me that you're struggling with. You know, I could think back to a month ago, another man sitting in my office. What, what he did was far worse. <laughs> if you want to compare, a lot more challenging. I said, but what makes you both the same is that both of you cried out for help. And, and that's what's most important. The, the details of what you did, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, like, you, you could have, you, he could have told me, you know, he did this, this crazy wild thing, you know. Uh, I think some people get so scared about that, that they're gonna shock the pastor, or he's never heard of anything like that. And it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is that you ask for help. And so I, so I think in those areas that you know specifically, you just need help in. Discipline yourself to ask for help. Link arms with the brother in Christ with one of the pastors here. Come talk to me. Come talk to somebody and cry out. Say, you know what? I know I'm not where I need to be and I need some help, some some prayer to link arms with you. So we must throw all of ourselves onto the Lord. We started in grace and we will be completed by grace. You know, so how are, how, how are we saved? By grace. It's grace alone. Through faith alone in Jesus Christ that, that we're saved. Only by His blood. You know, salvation is this divine miracle that takes place. Where somebody who is dead in their trespasses and sins cannot save themselves. God calls them out of death. And they respond to the call. So the picture is Lazarus in the grave. Jesus hears that he's dead. The women come find him. They said, you know, Lazarus is dying. And then Jesus waits three days. By the time he gets there, excuse me, he waits four days. By the time he gets there, Lazarus is, Lazarus is dead. One of the ladies comes and tells him he stinketh. You know, it's, 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 it's bad. And, you know, it tells Jesus, if you would have come, this would have never happened. And so Jesus tells, says, tells the people, says, I did this so that God would get glory. And so I, I just think it's, you know, this story is such a great picture of what salvation is. You know, God doesn't get glory in salvation if we could do it. I mean, where's the glory at? If I could save myself and, 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 and man-made religion was the way and I could be good enough and maintain my salvation, I don't need God, then where's the glory at? Where does God get the glory in? He doesn't get the glory. We get the glory because we did it. So Jesus gets there to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, 
come forth. So Lazarus, what's, what's the only responsibility Lazarus has? To listen to the call. That is salvation. God calls us and the only thing we have to do is say yes. Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm here. I'm gonna, I'm coming out, but it's gonna be because you called me. You, you saved it. You did it. And I said, yes, I responded to that call. That's the only, that's the only effort we bring to, to salvation. That's why salvation is apart from works. And that's what it says in Ephesians 2. It says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. It says that it was by grace alone that you're saved. It says it was apart from works so that no one can boast. And so our response to salvation, to the call of salvation is yes. And then we're saved. So it starts in grace. And then it ends in grace. So let's look again at the Lazarus story. He comes out. What is it that Jesus says right away to the people all around Lazarus? He says, these grave clothes that he has on, they got to be taken off of him. Got to unbind him, loose him, let him go. Take those grave clothes off. So those grave clothes. So was Lazarus alive at this point? Well, he was breathing. He was once was dead, but now he's alive, but he has lingering issues in his life. And so, again, Lazarus, as he's been called out, as he's been made alive, is a picture of us again. We still have grave clothes. We still have things that are on us. Now, could Lazarus, you know, back then, the way they would wrap him up in grave clothes, it would have been kind of like a mummy. You know, his arms and everything would have been kind of tied up. Could he do it by himself? It took grace again. It took help again. We, were, we started in grace, couldn't save ourselves. God called us out, and then it, we're completed in grace. It takes the work of the Lord for, for these grave clothes that are on our life, the remnants of our old life that we're left with, this flesh, for us to be rid of those things and to grow into maturity. And I just love the picture there, too, that, that, that Jesus asked the other people around them to help him with those grave clothes. And that's such a great picture of the, of the body of Christ and how when we cry out for help, people come alongside and they, they take off one little bit of piece of that grave clothes that you have that you're struggling with and they, and they help you with that and they pray with you. Or you hear God's word taught on a Saturday morning and it's another little layer of that grave clothes that's, that's coming off. You're growing in Christ. You're, you're progressively becoming more like Jesus. So we started in grace and we will be completed by grace. I'm going to read this scripture. Philippians 2, uh, verses 12 through 13. It's a great scripture. This is kind of a kind of a section of scripture that sometimes people will take out of context and think there's a contradiction here. Because of the, uh, the first verse, it says, Therefore, my beloved, so the context is speaking to Christians, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so I've heard many people say, well, I don't even, how, how is this true? Work out your own salvation? I thought, you don't work out anything in your salvation. And it's true, you don't work for your salvation, as we've established, as you guys know. But what is the Apostle Paul saying here? Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. The picture there is that, is that God in salvation has worked something in you, in, in your heart. 
And so the picture there is to work out, and when you study the, the original language of the, 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 the way this is phrased, it's a living out of the work of God in your life. Work out, not work to obtain, but de- it's like a, a demonstration in your life. Work out your salvation, the, the work that's been done in your heart, with fear and trembling. So it means a position of humility and awe and reverence at the salvation that you've received by grace. Work out, live out what God has worked in. God's worked in and done a work, a miracle. He saved us. So in fear and trembling, we come before God and we humbly say, Lord, I want to live out and demonstrate in my life the fruit of what you've done on the inside. And again, that's what makes Christianity different than any other, any other religion is that Christianity starts in and is worked out. Every other religion starts out and they try to, they try to control and make the desire change from the outward action. And it's impossible. The heart has to be changed before the actions are ever changed. So work out. What God has worked in. And then verse 13 demonstrates where our power comes from. So he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you. Works in you. And then here's the outward, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I I love it. It's so beautiful, this picture here. God, it's God who works in you, this working in. And it's... And, and, and it's, and, and this working in is what gives you the, the will and the desire to work for His good pleasure. So it starts in grace and you're completed in grace. It's His work in you. You wouldn't, you wouldn't desire to discipline yourself in marriage and purity and finances and giving and ministry and church had not God worked in you first. And so if you think about anything in your life, Throughout the rest of your Christian life on this earth, if you, if you only focus on the, the, the reality that God has changed your desires, and that's, if that's what you get out of this entire series, to me, that's a victory. Because that, to me, that, that's where it, it culminates. If you can, if you can recognize that you wouldn't even desire to do any of these things had not, had, had God not changed your heart, that's where that, 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 then you come to realize where the power lies. It's right here. It's right here. Now, I think what happens is, is that, as I talked about last Sunday, if we're not careful, and we believe that spiritual growth is going to happen by chance, then what can happen is, is that the things of this world can drown out the desires in our heart. And they become louder than our spirit man. Just, this, the thing is, this new desire that's been given to you by God, what He's worked in you, this new heart, it has to be King and Lord in your life. So if we're not careful, we don't take spiritual growth seriously. This is why this study on discipline is important. If we don't discipline ourselves, take it seriously, then what we feed ourselves will become King. What we put in will be the loudest voice. And so the, the simple point of spiritual growth is to feed what's good and right and true. And what we know is right and how we should live. Feed those good desires and allow that to grow stronger to where the things of the world, the pleasures of sin, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches, there's, there's, there's no more pull or, or the pull is not as strong as it used to be. So working out what God 
has worked in. Another section of Scripture, Colossians 1. Colossians 1, 28-29 paints the same picture for us. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Yeah, I'm going to start in 26 because this is really good. Actually, let's just start in 24. Let's just read 24 through 29. It's the Apostle Paul writing, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is his church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Paul is saying here, I've been given a commission to preach God's word. And what and what is God's word? What is the gospel? The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So what is this mystery? What makes this gospel so powerful? What's this mystery? To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. And what's the glory of this mystery? Which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, pointing back to what I said. What separates Christianity from all other faiths? Christ in you. It's about in you. God works in you. Changes our hearts. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim, verse 28, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So again, it's this picture of we're wanting people, we're all wanting to grow into spiritual maturity. Everyone needs to be presented mature in Christ. Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. It's so beautiful. Think about that. He says, Paul, Paul is saying, I, I've been given a commission and a job, and I have to discipline myself to preach God's word so people can be presented mature in Christ. He says, and for this I toil. This is the first week in this lesson. Spiritual sweat. This I toil. First Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself for godliness. Thinking back to that, that theme verse. Train yourself for godliness. And that picture there is, was of the word gymnasium. And it had the same picture of the, the Greeks when they would, when they would uh, uh, do athletics naked. So they wouldn't have anything that would uh, uh, hinder them from performing in their athletic skill. So it's that picture of athletics and not having anything that hinders you. And so this is the picture that Paul is saying. I am toiling to do this. And he recognizes that it's going to take discipline. Nobody's going to make him get out of bed and preach the gospel to the saints so that they can be presented mature in Christ. No one's going to make him be diligent to pray and to seek God, to know God's heart, so he can he can preach the gospel boldly and accurately. It's going to be something that that God puts a desire in his heart and he cooperates, he listens, and cooperates with the work of God in his heart. But listen to what he says. He says, this is what I toil at. Struggling. He says it's a struggle. But I'm struggling with all of his energy. That he powerfully works within me. I'm, I, I, I don't know, that just excites me. I don't know about you guys as well. I know it's early, but that just pumps me up. I just love that. It's like that song that we sing. It's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. Like that's the picture of that. That song is the picture of this verse. Like 
Like, it's, it's your breath, God, that you gave me. I'm breathing it. But you gave it to me. This desire to struggle and to toil and to labor and to discipline and to be all you call me to be, God, that's from you. And if I'm going to do any of this, God, it's because I throw myself onto you and I recognize it's not in my own strength and I need your grace. You ever heard somebody, when they work really hard and they earn some money, they talk about how it's their money, it's my money. I earned that. You know, when you really think about it, I mean, it's God's. Even if they're not a Christian, they're ignoring the reality that God woke them up. You said this morning when you first walked in, I asked you how your morning was, and you said, it's a good morning. I woke up. I woke up. <laughs> Amen, right? Where's that breath come from? It's God's breath in our lungs. And so I, I, I just, I just, that's just such a powerful truth. It all comes from the Lord. Your desire to even be here is such an amazing picture of your desire to want to honor the Lord. That's God's grace in your life. So that's the position you stay in. That's where you stay in. Don't allow this study or these lessons. You know, to be honest with you, I probably should have taught this lesson first. We might have had all the men that started <laughs> stay. I mean, look, when you go through this list, it's overwhelming. Think about me. I got I to gotta do all this. How am I going to do this? I don't know. But I do know that it's going to be because of God's grace. It's going to take your work. It's going to take some effort. And you're not maintaining your position in Christ by your effort. You guys all know that. If you, if you don't know that, let me re- remind you. God is God loves you and you are in Christ just as much as, as you are when, when you fail and you sin. I'll let that sink in for a second. Even now, some of you think that can't be true. Well, if it wasn't true, then the book of Hebrews wouldn't be true. Because the book of Hebrews says that when Jesus died, it was a once for all sacrifice for all time. For all time. So, brothers, that sin you're going to commit for all time down the road, Christ's sacrifice that you placed your faith in however many years ago was sufficient for all time time and the picture of hebrews is is that god doesn't have to go back on the cross and send jesus every time you sin so you are in a position of rightness with the lord even in the middle of your sanctification throughout the whole process of your sanctification that's that's called the assurance of faith that you are his he's not letting go of you he's committed to helping you grow it's just i mean same picture with my kids i mean look if I didn't have that type of love for my kids, I'd have thrown them out a long time ago. <laughs> they would have, I would have let them go. <laughs> they, they wouldn't have lasted, you know. I think, I, I heard some, I heard some preachers say, I, I forget who said it. You know, God, God made kids cute so we wouldn't kill them. And he made kids small so they wouldn't kill us. <laughs> because, I mean, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great setup there. Because because uh, it it really is true. There's times you just want to just want to strangle your kids. You're just like, don't you get it? Or you're just so rebellious. I can't believe you did that. But we love them. It's that that agape love we have in our heart, and it's such a great picture of the love our Father has for us. He is committed to you. So so end as we end this series. End with this lesson as a reminder. That yes, everything in this book that we studied is true. And these are all areas you have to focus on. But in knowing that the Lord is pleased with you, even when you struggle.
that he loves you. He, he loves you and he wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. And, but also leave this study knowing that it's, it is going to take some toil. I mean, you, you sit here, you talk to Derek. Derek got up here, talked about the men in, in the program that he has to mentor and train and lead. I guarantee you this is some of the things that he has to tell them on a regular basis. And this is going to take some work. You're going to have to deal with some issues from your past and dig deep. And, 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 and there's men that quit, men that give up. It gets hard. It gets tough. And they throw up their hands and they say, you know what? It's just too hard. Just can't do it. Just can't do it. So it's going to take some work. It's going to take some discipline. But it's the grace with the discipline. It's the grace that's surrounding you in all of that effort. The Lord's going to sustain you and give you the help as you continue to progress and grow. Amen? All right? Lord, I just pray for these men. God, I pray uh, that all the things that they've studied and that, and that, that they've learned, Lord, I, I just pray, God, that you would uh, seal it in their hearts. And, Lord, I pray that you would re- remind them every single day, Lord, that they started out in grace and that they're going to be completed by grace. Let them remember that truth. That in their weak moments, in their times of struggle, Lord, remind them that you are there with them. You haven't left them. That you have, you're right there by their side. And that you are calling for them to turn to you, to throw all of them themselves onto you. To be their strength and their support. I thank you for these awesome men, faithful men that love you, that are committed to you. Lord, strengthen them and encourage them in every area of their life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. All right. See you guys tomorrow.